The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the weekend, my friends. It is Saturday night. What a perfect opportunity to talk shop. What we do here, we talk about Bay Street activities, Wall Street activities. We want to bring it right home to you where it matters the most. Indeed. So about money. Each and every Saturday night, portfolio manager Jack Hartle by my side. Uh, Jack, I have to throw it to you. you know, uh, each and every week you and I uh, analyze, we discuss, we strategize, we observe, and we forecast. Uh, so my opening question to you, Jack Hartle, is what have you learned this week? What stood out in the market action this week? Uh, thanks, Wilson. There has been a ton of action this week, but really it's, it comes down to the central bank. Everything's all about the Federal Reserve and the United States, setting interest rate policy. And what I saw this week and, and what I take from it, I believe that inflation for this cycle has peaked, Wolfgang, but the economy has not bottomed. So prices are going to be coming down slowing down because the economy uh, continues to slow. And I think it will slow quicker than people actually believe. The other thing I would take from this week as well, Wolf, and it goes back into October, we had a historic rally uh, in the Dow and the major indices throughout the month of October. I I think it was up 12, maybe 13% for the Dow, which I'm going to say it goes back at least 40 years uh, for outperformance. Um, When you look at that, Wolf, what it tells me is the the, uh, the market's got it correct. Right. Everyone was expecting the Fed to raise rates and open the window for a pause. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, what I'm what I picked up with the Dow strength, Jack, we spoke about that uh, this week. Uh, the Dow massive outperformance in the month of October. The S&P was up six percent. I think the Nasdaq was up only three. But the Dow for the month of October was up 12 percent. What is the Dow? It's 30 stocks, uh, big, old value stocks. Uh, in America, with, with, with that strength, it's telling you that value certainly has legs. You and I were at that Morgan Stanley presentation, and, and they think the gap between value and growth has to narrow, and growth is being greatly hindered by rising interest rates. Uh, the rate market, absolutely. Uh, no, but the rate market this week certainly is also allowing retirees to finally receive some decent income in, in a low, stable investment environment. But I, I want to throw back to you, Jack, something else that you and I, taking it back to basics for, for, for everyone at home, the most important thing is what you do on a daily and weekly and monthly basis. And, and, and our best advice to you at home is stay on course and, more importantly, save money. Do your part and save money. Put money aside for you, for your future, uh, for charity, for children, but you name it, but you need to build a war chest. And when markets correct, they give you the opportunity to actually buy things on sale. And without question, this market is a lot cheaper today than it was 12 months ago. Uh, and again, I, I go back to Jack, the basics of, of what you and I are trying to instill in, in all of our clients, and I would have to say, for the most part, our clients get this, that's why they have become clients, is they do their part, which, is, which means they put money aside. I want to go back to, uh, Jack, the mathematics behind the market. The market tends to grow with a lot of volatility, about 10% a year, if you look at the last 
50 and 100 year average, about 10 percent stock market growth over a decade period of time. Simply by saving $5 a day, Jack, and generating a 9% return, which you can do if you just buy the broad S&P 500, uh, based on historic facts. Again, uh, past may not be repeated in the future, but I'd have to use it as a good yardstick. $5 a day, Jack, at 9% for 40 years equates to $700,000. Saving $5 a day. Friends, this is the, these are the facts. $5 a day at 9% over a 40-year period is $720. Jack, what does that work out to? 505 bucks a day, 365 days, uh, 50, about 1800 bucks a year. Is that right? Or $180? What is 1800 bucks I think, Wolf. It's 1800 bucks I think, Wolf. And again, I, I think that is, still, I think a homeless person can do that. So people, friends at home, most of you are working, I would assume. And therefore, I would encourage all of you, try to save $1,000 a month. It may be a big number to you, but try to save $1,000 a month. That's $12,000 a year. If you can do that and generate a 9% return over 40 years, that's $4.7 million. There's a 60-second financial plan I've just given you. $1,000 a month over a 40-year period at 9% is $4.7 million. So, 40 years means if you start at 25 and continue to do so consistently to 65, there you go. You got $4.7 million, but people don't want to do that. And that is again, over and over again, I can't stress the importance of it enough. Part of the reason I got into this business is because I came from the broadcasting entertainment industry, working in rock radio. And I came across a lot of people who were in very, shall I say, cyclical type jobs with you know limited long-term runway, uh, and you know that from your your, your hockey players' friends, Jack. Uh, I know that from people working in the media and entertainment industry, and that is an industry that is really a, it's it's a it's a rental job, so to speak. Uh, they love you when they love you, and they forget you really quickly. Uh, now, a person we won't forget, but a person who understands what I'm referring to is a broadcast expert in Canada, and this name, Mr. Michael Hansworth. Uh, Michael frequent guest on hi-fi radio and it's ironic michael used to interview me on bnn <laughs> and now i interview him on hi-fi radio uh full it's so much easier michael. being on the other side of this i don't know it's, i enjoy both sides michael i truly truly do um and and you know on both sides of it i find we all learn something uh when we are answering a question it forces us to think and as we're asking questions if we listen properly which is my challenge <laughs> but if we listen properly we can learn something uh, oh yes god gave us two ears and one mouth we have to remember that ratio and use it accordingly uh michael welcome back to the show my good friend but let, let's speak to that let's speak to those and people working in, show, you know, there's no business like show business, but it's a tough business. Uh, and if you don't put money aside when the days are good, you get yourself into a perhaps depressive downward spiral, which I don't want to happen to anybody. Uh, you must have some firsthand experience with that, Michael, with, with all of your friends that you've rubbed shoulders with in your broadcasting days. Well, I've got to tell you, since I jumped ship from mainstream uh, television, uh, being that that big shot uh, news anchor on, on the Business News Network uh, for you know, 18 years or so, in, in 2018, I, I made that move into you know hanging up my own shingle, being a consultant, and and providing some major global brands with uh, assistance and sort of telling their stories. And um, that came with a, a remarkable opportunity to build up a war chest uh, myself. And I'm I'm so glad that um, I, I leveraged the amount 
amount of time that I spent at, at BNN listening to people such as yourself uh, talk about the importance of keeping powder dry because now we're in that situation where we really don't know precisely where things are going to go other than at this point, it looks like they're going into the dumper in 2023. So over the course of 2018 through into where we are today, I was socking away those profits from the company that I had built over the last four years. And just before uh, uh, Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and we saw that massive inflationary environment kick in and we saw an incredible response on the interest rate front to, to deal with it. I was about to cut a big check, do a massive renovation to my house. And I thought, you know what? Maybe now is not the time to do that. Let's step back, see where this economy goes, see where this environment goes. Because you may recall, we were paying twice as much as we had previously been paying for lumber not too long ago. And we were super worried that that was going to be a a big problem. Remember the old days where it cost you twice as much to build a deck? Well, that's not going to be the case anymore. So I'm keeping that powder dry myself. I don't know, you know, now that I'm, I'm working for myself, where my clients are going to go in, in the future. I don't know where the housing market's going to go. What I do know is that my variable rate mortgage covering cost, carrying costs have gone through the roof. And I'm just thankful that I've got that financial cushion that allows me to ride that out. And a lot of that came down to listening to people such as yourself talk about the importance of setting aside cash. Just because a dollar is coming in the door doesn't mean it should go out the door. Well, Michael, again, uh, and I don't want to get personal with you here, but um, if you did take my advice of saving $1,000 a month while you're at BNN for an 18-year period at 9%, do you know what the number would have been? Oh, see, I didn't know there was going to be math. $600,000. 18 years, BNN, $1,000 a month, 9%, 600. Uh, So again, the importance, my friends at home, of starting immediately when you get your first job, you must put money aside. The more, the better. And if you're still living at home with mom and dad, you should be supersizing it. Don't go to McDonald's and supersize the order. Supersize your savings rate. Oh, I can't stress enough. I want to. I want to parlay something uh, with, with the conversation. I, I keep walking by Tim Hortons, and I walk by it because I do not stop the Tims to 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 order their products. I don't like it, but I love the lineups I see. I love the crowds. I love the enthusiasm by the general populace around Timmy's. I bought the stock, and I bought more of the stock. I feel very confident in that stock simply by walking by and seeing the lineup. And that company certainly knows how to compound its store coverage, and that should parlay into compounded growth over the long haul. Quality brands, quality show, it's Hi-Fi Radio. Michael Hainsworth spending some time with us this Saturday night, fireside chat with the broadcast expert and now entrepreneur. Gone on his own, doing very, very well. Uh, it's always a pleasure to catch up with Mr. Hainsworth, a big tech fanatic. We're going to talk a little about uh, Elon Musk and Mr. Zuckerberg uh, right after the show. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.
Tunes Hi-Fi Radio. I'd like to weave in some fidelity for music lovers out there. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Elton put on such a great show. And I went and bought his book for my beautiful best friend and wife, Kathleen, and she's actually really enjoying it. Just, he's a fantastic storyteller, and certainly uh, a lot of stories <laughs> that man has lived through firsthand. Boy, did he have fun. Uh, well, you know, some, a lot of funding had by many. Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk, of course. I think he's having fun. Um, uh, as for Mr. Zuckerberg, I want to talk about him first. Uh, his quarterly results, a.k.a. Facebook, uh, Meta now. Uh, oh, with his quarterly results, uh, the street was not impressed. Uh, voted with its feet and took the stock lower. Uh, Michael Hainsworth, you're a tech god. Um, tell me something. <laughs> Why Meta put the metaverse cart before the digital horse with its strategy and hardware? Ask you. Why Meta put the metaverse cart before the digital horse with its strategy and hardware? Talk about that, Michael. That's a brilliant comment, brilliant question. Well, it, it's, it's something that we're, we're addressing on my, my web series, Where Is My Jetpack? And uh, the thing that we need to understand, first of all, about the metaverse is that it's, it's not a, a place any more than the World Wide Web is a place. The web is a collection of websites. The metaverse will be a collection of online universes. It's not a single place that you go, despite the idea that Mark Zuckerberg is trying to put out there by renaming Facebook to Meta, that he is going to be your source for the metaverse. Meta just recently released a new version of its VR headset, which is now also augmented reality in addition to virtual reality. It's three times the price of its consumer-grade VR headset at about 2300 Canadian dollars. But the, the cart before the horse that, that Zuckerberg has, has done here is imagine Apple Computer back in 1984 releasing the first consumer computer, the Macintosh. It uses a mouse. But imagine spending the $4,000 it cost to buy a Macintosh back in 1984, which is, to almost everybody, a brand-new technology called a, a computer mouse. And then there was no software that actually used a computer mouse. Meta wants us to work in the metaverse, but there isn't a killer app for the metaverse yet for the workplace. Now, they are working with Microsoft, but the question is, is do we need Microsoft Word in 3D? Or do you really want your Excel spreadsheet to be zooming past you in front of your eyeballs? You know, the, the other thing is that this $2,300 VR device that's supposed to be for the workforce, you can't even run more than two hours without requiring almost a half-day charge. So the real question at the end of the day is, why do we need to move our work world into the metaverse in the first place. And do we, Michael? Yes, we do, um, but in very specific ways. Um, the, the, at this point in time, the, the metaverse, as, as we sort of know it today, which we've known since, say, 2016, when the first uh, VR headset became a, a public commodity, um, known back then as the Oculus Rift, uh, which then Meta, then Facebook bought and turned into the, the Quest. Um, the consumer metaverse is going to be a fraction of the actual metaverse. Today's consumer metaverse is basically gaming in VR. Uh, it, and actually, it's an incredible advance in gaming. Do you ever play the, 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 the iPhone game Angry Birds? 
<laughs> I actually first came across that, that that product in the CP24 studios. That's funny you bring that up. Uh, and I did not participate in it. Uh, I remember when it came, it seemed to come and go pretty darn quickly. But I like the phrase, uh, Angry Bird. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You, you missed a, a gaming revolution. Angry Birds was fantastic. <clears throat> now, the thing about Angry Birds is that there's a version for VR. You can play Angry Birds in the metaverse. And I got to tell you, being in the game is actually amazing. You can walk around in your dining room, looking at the, the, the structure that you need to knock down and kill the birds with at different angles. You can duck, you can bend, you can look around corners. It's, an, it's a remarkable gaming advance. Uh, there are other games. You can be a, you know, a, a Marine with a gun on a real urban battlefield. You can fly a spaceship in 3D. And, and that's a really huh. powerful use case for the metaverse, really. But that is very consumer oriented. Um, the reality is, is we fast forward five years, 10 years, the metaverse will be more enterprise than it is consumer, even though consumers really sort of got the head start on the whole thing. Um, the, the problem, though, is that, you know, the phrase, this meeting could have been an email. Well, now we're at the stage where this Zoom meeting could have been an email. And what we want to avoid is this 3D metaverse meeting could have been an email. And so what Zuckerberg is trying to do is basically turn that meeting into a metaverse meeting. We don't need that. What we need is something very different. And we're seeing it actually in use already. BMW, by example, it uses a version of the metaverse. Again, back to the idea that it, the World Wide Web is a collection of websites that the metaverse is a collection of metaverse apps, BMW is using a metaverse app to shape a total full year off the typical eight-year car development cycle. Think about the millions and millions of dollars BMW is saving by cutting an eight-year car development cycle down to seven years by giving its people augmented reality headsets so that no matter where they are in the world, they can walk around this digital reproduction of the car that they're working on. They can sit in it without actually having to build a version of it to sit in, in the real world. They can zoom in on a spot and say, you know what? I don't like where the knob is for the radio on this. Let's move it an inch and a half to the left without actually physically having to move it an inch and a half to the left to know that that was the right decision. That's just one example of how the metaverse will ultimately be used by enterprise down the road. We'll use let me, let me inter- Michael, let me, interrupt, let me interrupt if you don't mind. Uh, I just had my snow tires put on my new Audi, um, and it was the annual maintenance, which the first one was free, which is uh, nothing's free in this world. But anyways, uh, luxury car, expensive to uh, service, beautiful vehicle nonetheless. Um, and, of course, when you go into a car dealership today, intuitively we all think about electric vehicles. There's no combustible vehicles in the marketplace, let alone electric vehicles. So I asked the question to the service manager. Uh, Audi has some very cool new electric vehicles. Where are they? When can I see them? He said, unfortunately, uh, for the e-trons that are coming to market now, people placed orders two years ago. Buying something sight unseen, Amazon has taught us to do that with, you know, $20, $30 items, but for a $150,000 to $200,000 vehicle, sight unseen, never in a million years. Perhaps Meta is a solution to that so I can virtually experiment with the potential purchase uh, in, the meta, in the Meta universe. Does that make sense, Michael, to you? 
You're absolutely right. Um, and so that is sort of the consumer facing version of the opportunity that virtual reality and augmented reality places. Now, again, virtual reality is your entire vision is obscured and replaced with a virtual world. Augmented reality is just as it sounds. It's reality that is augmented with additional materials. So this uh, augmented reality headset. Now, Meta will sell you this headset, but they're not going to develop the app that allows Audi to tell you that you can stand out in front of your actual driveway wearing this headset and walk around a virtual version of the car so that you know exactly what it looks like in your uh, in your driveway. For me, for example, I have a very small garage. And so when I bought my last car, I had to, uh, part of part of the test drive was driving it into the garage to make sure it properly fit. Could you imagine not even having to do that, to be able to take that VR headset, augmented reality headset, a mixed reality headset, as they call them now, and actually find yourself in your actual garage going, oh, man, looks like I'm going to have to clear out some of the junk before this car is going to fit. That will be an example of a use case. But do you really want to spend $2,300 just for that? No. But there's a critical mask that, mass that will develop where it's not just that Audi has the ability to put a virtual version of the e-tron in your driveway. It's not just that you can play Angry Birds where you're actually standing <laughs> next to the bird. It's about all of these different companies developing all of these separate apps all together. And the only way that Meta wins is not by developing the apps, but by acting as the platform where it's the jumping off to everybody else's app. So until you've got a yeah. app for the workforce, until you've got a valid reason why you're going to strap a headset on your face for a couple of hours a day just so that you can get the job done that you're currently doing, um, there's going to be a shortcoming. And we just don't have that killer app just yet. Um, it will arrive just so long as it isn't yet another excuse to take a Zoom call and turn it into a 3D call. We speak with Michael Hainsworth. Uh, Where is my jetpack? It's a podcast that he is continuously to develop. Uh, he is a brand uh, developer, I shall say, uh, working at the corporate level, uh, also a public speaker. If you have any corporate engagements you're looking for, Michael makes a fantastic MC, I must say. Uh, indeed, uh, on his own, doing very, very well. I've been staying very close to my good friend, Michael Hainsworth, since his departure from uh, BNN. Um, Jack, the market, business, and the Dow leadership is telling us tech is dead for some time. Uh, and what Meta or, or, or Zuckerberg are doing is not in sync with what the market wants. Tell us what the market wants. We've got about 60 seconds before we go to break here, Jack. We're seeing it with Meta, Wolf, and this technology sounds great. All the stuff that Michael's talking about, augmented reality, virtual reality, is going to change the world. But right now, like you said, it's not growth at any cost because there is a cost. It's called interest. So companies, growth companies, will continue to grow, but they need to show profitability to be rewarded in the market. That's what we're seeing. Which, yeah, which company flipped the switch uh, in general is Uber. That's right. Uber, Uber stopped yeah. investing in growth and focused on profitability and bam, the stock had a nice lift. Uh, I expect more of that uh, for those who, uh, you know, want to manage their shareholders uh, a little better. Uh, shows Hi-Fi Radio, show about money each and every Saturday. Wolfgang Klein, that's MWOC, along with my partner and portfolio manager, Jack Hartle. Uh, bring the finest minds to the show to share with you their thoughts and uh, focus in the business world. It's all about helping you compound wealth. 
Flow Steady Eddie, my friends, wins the race. And as indicated, save $1,000 a month. Do that for 40 years. You'll almost build a $5 million war chest if you generate a 9% return. S&P 500 has done better than that over the last 1,500 years. Those are the odds. Uh, I would stick to those odds. Stick to the show. It's Hi-Fi Radio. We're going to take a quick break and get right back with Michael Hainsworth and speak to him about his other best buddy, Mr. Elon Musk. It's going to be great. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Uh, Michael, I have to ask you again your question. It's a great question. Why must will find it easier to run his mouth rather than Twitter. Oh, well, for, first of all, he, he calls himself a free speech absolutist, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous because we know speech is not free. There must be limitations on it, particularly when it comes to issues of hate speech and things of that nature. And if he wants to attract the advertisers that are really the bulk of how this company brings revenue in the door in the first place, he's going to have to tamp down on the crazies. He's going to have to tamp down on the bullies, the bigots, and the useful idiots of the far right that have made the place a dumpster fire in the first place. He says he doesn't want it to be a hellscape. And the broad response was, isn't it already a hellscape? The other problem that he's got, though, is tied to that revenue issue. Not only is he going to have to ensure he's got revenue coming in the door, of which he has less now because General Motors already put on pause its spending on Twitter. But now his big solution to the revenue problem is to charge for the blue check mark. <laughs> okay, let me parlay to the next question. Uh, too big for his bridges. Uh, and again, I have the utmost respect for Elon Musk. Um, I sense a bit of disdain uh, in, your, in your perception. <laughs> <laughs> totally cool, Michael. Um, but uh, too big for his bridges. Can he turn Twitter around, deal with this doubling of revenue and continue to run Tesla and continue to focus on SpaceX. Can he do all three? Oh, come on. Do you, do you really think that that's even possible? Like, you no, know, I don't. Just, just, just running one business effectively is difficult in and to itself. Uh, we've already had Tesla employees, both publicly and privately, come forward to say that he's distracted. He's not focused. He doesn't have his eye on the ball when it comes to the automaker. If you've ever driven in a Tesla, you know that it is rife with production problems. Seals not making it, water getting in on rainy days, the trunks not closing properly, to say nothing of his promise that these things would be full self-driving, and that's still going to be years away. If he's going to double the revenue to pay the $13 billion in debt-carrying costs over at Twitter, he's going to have to do more than charge people like me 8 to $20 a month to be able to make that happen. He's going to be more likely driving people away, which means it's driving more attention to Twitter versus all of those other um, projects that he's got in the air. And I, I call them projects. These are multi-billion dollar companies, each of which, if it wasn't Elon Musk, would have their own dedicated chief executive officer, a separate dedicated chairman of the board. These are real jobs that real people do 
for a living. And if he's going to have all of these balls in the air, is he not inevitably going to drop at least one of them? Uh, um, when it came to the, uh, the, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, uh, can you share with the audience specifically how Elon Musk helped the communications uh, of the Ukrainians uh, with the satellites that he has currently orbiting the Earth? Oh, it was an absolute shell game. It was total nonsense. He, he first of all came forward and offered to make Starlink, which is his satellite-based Internet service, available to Ukraine because the Russians bombed the daylights out of their telecom infrastructure. This was necessary. This was critical. And they are actively using it every single day today. But what really was going on behind the scenes is the U.S. government, the Pentagon, was paying for the vast majority of the costs associated with making Ukraine capable of communicating amongst itself and communicating with the outside world. And then out of nowhere, Musk told us all that he couldn't afford to keep paying the freight on it, the freight that he wasn't even fully paying for in the first place. All this did was put additional pressure on the U.S. government to pick up more of the tab, which, as I understand, they now have. Uh, the Starlink system is an amazing technology. It is limited in certain ways. It certainly isn't a replacement for fiber optics-based uh, telecommunications, but it is excellent for places that don't have that kind of glass fiber infrastructure in place just yet. Or if in the case of Ukraine, you've had yours bombed out of existence. So there's real value in that Starlink technology, uh, and it's being deployed in places like Ukraine. But the big question is, if this is a company that isn't profitable yet and hasn't been profitable and isn't expected to be profitable for some time, why should the people of a war-torn nation be the first to make it profitable. Don't you think the rest of us ought to be shouldering that burden more so than the people who are worried about losing their lives every day? Yeah, very interesting point there, Michael. Um, Jack, again, you've been paying close attention to the uh, Twitter acquisition by Elon Musk, scratching your head all the way through the uh, drama. Uh, share with us your 60 cents on it. Uh, uh, I don't know where to start with this one, Wolf, but uh, yeah, like Michael said, uh, <laughs> out of the gate, well, he paid forty plus billion dollars for, it. and just look at it, looking at some comparables. I'm going to say, uh, with what's going on in the market, with rising interest rates and valuations, uh, and and all the nonsense behind uh, what's going on with the company, uh, I, I would think he's down in half uh, with what you've seen in some of the comparables in the market. So it's a tough one for for Elon. And uh, uh, we were talking just in the, the morning here, like he's got some significant challenges. You know, he he has revolutionized the automotive automotive industry. Uh, he's talking about going to Mars. Uh, and to, to make Twitter profitable, I don't know which one is more challenging, going to Mars or, or making this a profitable trade. So maybe you could maybe you could speak to that, Michael. What is the end game for Twitter, and how do you see it developing? The end game, as far as Elon Musk is concerned, and from his perspective on it, basically changes on a daily basis. The, the current understanding as to what Elon wants to do with Twitter is turn it into. Um, the American version of WeChat. Uh, for those of us who don't spend any time in China, we may not be familiar with WeChat. It is a combination social network, a financial services company, and a whole bunch of other things in between. And it's basically a universal app. And that's what Elon Musk is talking about. He wants to turn Twitter into what he's calling X.app, the universal app. Now, the only problem with doing that is that if you want to make Twitter a source for creating and maintaining financial transactions, 
you're going to have to give up your anonymity. Do you expect that of the people who have a Twitter account today, that among those bigots, bullies, and useful idiots of the far right, that any of them are going to want to reveal who they really are? These are people who know that the words they express on Twitter would get them fired at their day job. They're not about to turn around and tell the whole world who they truly and and, and really are. So there's an anonymity issue that Twitter has to overcome if it's going to move beyond just being the third-rate social media network out there today. Number one, of course, being Facebook, uh, followed by, of all things, YouTube, uh, and Twitter somewhere down, down the line. They want to, he ultimately wants to turn this into an app where we use it for more than just yelling at each other about the latest political action. Um, that is going to be a huge uh, task, and it's not a task that he's going to be able to accomplish if he fires two-thirds of his staff, which he's already talking about doing. That's expected to happen. And when it came down to uh, turning that blue check mark into uh, a thing that I have to pay for on a monthly basis, he gave his workers a week to accomplish that task or, quote, get fired. You can't run a business where people have the sort of Damocles hanging over their head, where you unveil a product that only has a seven-day build cycle. These things usually take months at a time, not a week at a time. So the, the working environment is going to be brutal for anyone who's still at Twitter after the axe is swung by Musk, let alone giving him the ability to turn it into an app for everything. A stock that's held in quite well, considering the environment, is Apple. Uh, speak to what they've been doing of late, Michael. Obviously, they're you know in the tech penalty box, but and they're also in the mega cap penalty box. Uh, anything catching your attention at Apple with their with their most recent results and uh, the the industry love or lack thereof for the company? Let's bring it full circle back to our initial conversation about the metaverse. Apple is expected in uh, the first quarter of 2023 to unveil its own VR, AR headset to go up against what Meta and Facebook are doing. That is not expected to be a cheap device. By most accounts, it'll be twice the cost of what the the new Meta headset was just released is, is going for. But there is an ecosystem that Apple understands is necessary. As my analogy was earlier, they didn't unveil a Macintosh with this brand new thing called a mouse without also unveiling software that took advantage of it. Fascinating stuff indeed. I'll tell you what catches my attention of, of actually both Facebook, or AK Meta, and Apple is just their amount of installed user base, uh, well in excess, both companies of 2 billion people. Uh, Apple, they are 2 billion customers. As with Meta, those 2 billion people are the product. Don't ever forget that, my good friend. Michael Hainsworth, an absolute delight, my good friend. Uh, carry on with your quest to success. I'm right there by your side. Uh, Jack Hartle, uh, next guest, of course, he's lined up for is Covenant House, uh, a cause very dear to my heart. Uh, it's getting cold outside. Uh, our brothers and sisters, many of them are not as fortunate as you and I. Please, we help you have more money. Take a little bit of it and help someone else. Guess what? You're going to get yourself a tax credit to boot. Taxes, they only go up, so that means your credit can only go up as well. Uh, I'm going to speak with Covenant House right after the break. Please stay tuned to Hi-Fi Radio 640 Toronto. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. 
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. by the fire hanging out I'm allowed to play that song why? because Halloween's over yep two months of it so I want to be first uh, I, I tee up that song on this hi-fi radio I'd like to weave in some tunes in the show about money I tee that song up because our next guest Paula Courtney uh, she is the Covenant House Sleepout Event Committee Chair and it's getting cold outside and I see people in the morning, as they come down to Temperance Street, lying and sleeping on the street with their coat over their heads, their shoes off, their, their pants soiled, uh, a complete disaster, a complete disaster, unconscionable. Covenant House helps people like that, and they catch them, actually, and help them at an earlier age so that they don't become middle-aged living on the street. I couldn't imagine spending two nights on the street, but I've certainly witnessed spending one night almost on the street three times with Covenant House uh, for their annual sleep-out event. Uh, Paula, uh, my friend, I'm going to turn the microphone to you. Uh, I really want you to develop and enhance the um, uh, net outtake that you witnessed this year with your sleep, but I want big success, a record year. What message must you share with the audience to help the cause for ending homelessness in Toronto? Sure. Well, this is one of our most important events um, on Thursday, November 17th. About 68 sleepers, executives from the Toronto-based community, will sleep out on the street uh, to raise $1.2 million. That's our goal um, for to fight youth homelessness. As you know, Covenant House, or many of your listeners might not know, but it is Canada's largest shelter protecting and you know preventing youth homelessness. We we house and serve have served um, youth since the early 80s. Uh, on this night, November 17th, there will be 14 other Covenant Houses across North America with executives sleeping out on the same evening, raising much-needed funds. This is our 11th year doing this, and for me personally, it will be my 10th year sleeping out. 90% of all the money raised goes directly to programs and services that benefit youth experiencing homelessness and trafficking. So we're pretty excited. This is our first post-COVID totally immersive event where we will be on the street. We will be interacting with youth and hear about their experiences. So we're really excited and we hope to exceed our target. So hopefully people will be generous and kind and, uh, and visit our site at executivesleepout.ca. Um, are you still accepting new executive sleepers? Absolutely. And uh, so we definitely, you know, have a call out to sleepers. Uh, so there's no limit. We'd love to have more sleepers. We're at, I believe, at last numbers, we're at 68. So we are definitely looking for more executives who are interested in amplifying the voice and the message that Covenant House has, which is really to prevent, exactly like you said, those youth from turning into adults who are sleeping out on the streets. 
But more importantly, we want to give youth a chance at a better life, put them on their feet, find permanent housing for them, employment, and continue with their education. They are our future and they deserve a chance. And uh, it's heartbreaking to see that, you know, there are youth as, as young as 16, um, you know, really who need our help from mental health support to education to employment and just a crisis shelter, particularly those who are trafficked. So, yeah, we're looking for sleepers as well. Um, Paula Courtney, uh, Sleep Out Executive Event Committee Chairperson has joined us. We're talking about uh, the big event that Covenant House uh, hosts annually, taking place November 18th, right here in Toronto. And they're actually across November 17th, sorry. Uh, excuse November me, 17. November 17th. Yeah. I apologize. Uh, but there's still, <laughs> well, I guess piece of cardboard available, because that's what you get. You get a piece of cardboard, you bring a sleeping bag, and, well, you spend six, seven, eight hours uh, sleeping outside uh, for one night to empathize. Uh, empathize, that's a good word. Uh, pardon me. Uh, with those people have to do it each and every night. Uh, again, the, the statistics are very sad, Paul. I want you to share them with the audience, please. Um, on any given night, uh, how many estimated youth in Toronto and in Canada are forced to sleep on the streets because it's the safest place they can find. Hundreds, and it's pretty sad. We offer crisis shelter 24-7, and it literally is. We serve about 1,000 youth a year, just the Toronto site. There is a site in Vancouver. So literally there are hundreds of youth across the country every day who are experiencing homelessness. And again, uh, the danger that they that, that they face is, is unbelievable. And I was told the reason you see them sleeping uh, during the day on the street is because they want to remain awake at night. So while they're not physically abused, uh, I, I once saw one homeless person walk up or, or, or approach another homeless person who was on the street, and and the home the, the, the standing homeless person stole. The, the granola bar from, from the person who was passed out on the street. And, of course, then he woke up and a bit, bit of a, a, a kerfuffle uh, erupted right there at, at Bay and King. It was unbelievable. The, the poor stealing from the poor. Uh, it's heartbreaking. I sit here and look at my uh, sleep out trophy that I guess I'm going to have to uh, hand back to you. I am proud <laughs> to say that uh, the Wolf on Bay Street uh, was the top uh, fundraiser last year. We raised uh, our team uh, over $80,000. I challenge a, a team to, to, to best that and uh, make it over $100,000. Uh, collectively, uh, the cause is trying to raise $1.2 million. Big, rich city. It should be a slam dunk. Help, Covenant House. Um, if you want to donate, um, Paula, uh, how can people donate? Yeah, if they visit executivesleepout.ca to register as a participant or to contribute to the fundraising event. My suggestion, friends, if you have some oil stock, they're up a lot, don't donate cash. Call your brokerage firm, have them transfer over some of those oil stock shares because you have a big capital gain. And guess what? You do not have to pay the capital gain tax. If you sell the stock, you do. If you, if you just donate it, you don't pay the capital gains tax. So there's a savings. Plus, you get a charitable receipt for the full amount of the market value of the share the day you transfer them. It's a great tax tip I'm giving you. Donate stock that's appreciated in value versus cash. It's, it's a better way. Otherwise, give cash, write a check. Credit card, debit, e-transfer. I'm sure they'll take it all. Covenant House, sleep out. Go to the website. Please help the cause. I'm there. Well, that's Thank it for our show. Paula Courtney, I wish you success. God bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your support.
Always, always, my friend. Uh, that's it for the show. High Fire Radio Show about money. A few tear jerkers in the way, but it's all part of life, isn't it? Indeed, it is. I want you to be safe. I want you to be strong. I want you to be philanthropic. I want you to be rich. All in one. Have a great weekend, my friends. We'll be back next Saturday. Jack Hartle by my side. It's High Fire Radio 640, Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.